This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest is Sarah Olivieri. She's the founder of Pivot Ground and creator of the Impact Method. Sarah, thanks for joining us. It's so great to be here. Well, we are having you on because I am just uh, obsessed with, in general, the idea of measuring impact, of planning for it and structuring it. And you are like the creator of the Impact Method, which has all of the right language in it. And we're here for you to unpack what that actually means. Yeah, great. I'm so glad you said that because I am such, I always want something to really mean something for people. So before we go into the deep dive on the impact method, can you tell us a bit about Pivot Ground, how long you've been around and what it does? Sure. Um, well, Pivot Ground is a, a consulting company um, for nonprofits. We used to do marketing for nonprofits. I come from a nonprofit background. I've been an executive director several times and held several other roles in leading nonprofits. Um, So when I started Pivot Ground, I wanted to help nonprofits get great results from marketing. And not just for fundraising, but for actually what we called at the time impact marketing, using marketing to help you fill and deliver your programs better. And that started um, in that form in 2010, roughly. And what that led me on was a journey to discover that most of the nonprofits we wanted to work with or were working with couldn't really benefit from great marketing because internally they were not structured in a way that was scalable. And that led me kind of back to my nonprofit executive director days to really want to think about how I could help nonprofits get organized and run in a way that was actually more efficient. Almost nobody talks about efficiency in nonprofits, but it's crucial to achieving your mission or making an impact. And that is what we do 100% of the time today is we teach nonprofits the impact method and support them as they begin to scale their ability to make an impact. There's this really great Yogi Berra quote that Whole Whale uses all of the time. We're lost, but at least we're making great time. And it was just like (laughs) resonating in my head the entire time. We're like, wait a minute, what can we market here? Oh yeah, let's just dump some ad dollars and a ton of staff time into pushing this out there without realizing what we're pushing may not be in the right direction. Yeah, that is so crucial, so crucial. And in fact, what I see again and again is nonprofits' biggest secret fear coming true. They're afraid they're dumping money down the toilet. And in fact, they are, but it's not where they think they're wasting money. Yeah, the the adage, half of our marketing works, we just don't know which half. And (laughs) we're too afraid to find out, so nobody look under the hood. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to look under the hood, and that is what the impact method is all about. What's going on under the hood, and how can we make that thing run better? And so the impact method is a business framework? Do I have that right? Yeah, it's a business framework, or you could think of it as a method for keeping your organization organized and optimized. And it consists of kind of 
five key parts. It's not a template. It is kind of a, a system of structuring your organization, planning, doing your strategic planning, um, how we distribute leadership, and um, how we have a unique identity as an organization, which forms the core of a brand. So how does this differ from, let's say, uh, organizational strategy documents or mission, vision, execution type of plans or, you know, those pre-existing documents? Does it tie them together? Does it add more flavor? Yes and yes and no and no. <laughs> In that order. Remember that yes, yes, no, no, yes, abacadabra. Theory of change. But it does sound like a version of a theory of change, no? It does. So I've absolutely, the concept of theory of change, I think, is great. But what is the use of theory of change, which is basically like, what do we want to accomplish? And what are the things we do that have that, those, that outcome, right? What's the use of a theory of change if it's not actually built into your strategy? And what's the use of your strategy if you can't change it every couple of months because the world changes fast these days? And what's the use also of a strategy that you don't know how to execute from like day one when your strategy is ready? I believe you should know what your exact next step is to start executing on that. And that is not present in traditional strategic planning. Um, so I can go into a little more detail about like just how different it is, but it is about having at the high level an iterative strategy that is shifted more out from the board and into the hands of the people who are doing the day-to-day -day work of running the nonprofit. There's so many uh, different frameworks that I feel like I hear about and you know try to present on and get my head around. Can you speak to the practical nature? Because I like that so many documents are created and then filed away for you know the rainy day when a board member asks for them, which you know by all means have that file. Can you talk to me about the practical nature uh, of this document and how you see it actually used? Yeah. So um, for the strategy, we have two parts that kind of replace traditional strategic planning. And those are two of the five parts of the impact method. Um, one is called an impact strategy. And those are the high level goals. And the other part is the plan of action or the continuous plan of action. We call it the CAP which is what are you what are the steps you're taking like in the next two weeks to 60 days to achieve those goals and from a practical perspective while you can do these on paper if you want the way we typically do them is using the power of the internet so one of the things i learned in developing the impact method was the way we view a plan to create the plan and the way we view a plan to execute the plan and the way we view a plan to figure out if the plan is good or not are different types of views. And what tool is amazing for helping us look at data in different ways very quickly? The internet or computers, right? So we often use a tool called um, ZenKit. You can get it for free. It's not our tool. We don't make any money on it. Um, it's kind of like Trello. It lets you create, you know, take pieces of information, put them in lists, put them in a spreadsheet. Zenkit is unique, though, in that it also has a mind map view that integrates with kind of a column view. And we utilize that heavily in the impact method. Um, so our 
version of a strategic plan called an impact strategy is not a spreadsheet. It's not in a binder. There's no fancy report. It is a mind map that we typically look on on the computer or you can build it out on a whiteboard that actually has your mission at the center and builds out the key outcomes that you want to achieve and then the key activities that you are going to do. I call them execution goals. Those are the goals that you have control over that will hopefully have the outcome that you're looking to achieve. And those are all on our impact strategy, which typically we're looking at it like a mind map, but we do like to manipulate the views. So part of the process of making a better plan is just kind of double checking your plan visually from a few different layouts, which helps you know if it's, if it's realistic, if the goals you've set right now make sense. I'm such a visual person that really gives me a tangible sense of, I get it. If I was working in the communications or the programmatic uh, or you know financial side, I could see that there's my bubble, there's their bubble, there are my OKRs or KPIs or you know, acronym of the day, whatever you call it, the thing we do and how we might measure it downstream. Uh, that's helpful. That's helpful. Yeah, it's so helpful. And having it laid out in that way, just to jump to one of your favorite questions, how do you measure impact? Well, you know, some many nonprofits have um, missions, the thing that they're trying to achieve in their mission is very hard to measure because so often it's extremely complex or challenging or many nonprofits are have a mission related to giving people a greater quality of life and how do you measure those things? Well, as soon as you start to have your goals really clear, concise, and clearly connected in kind of like these chains of reaction, you can say, oh, well, we're making progress. And there's two types of progress in my mind that you can measure. One is, did we do what we set out to do? Like, did we do the work <laughs> that we had control over doing? If you didn't do the work, then you have some sort of like capacity problem. But if you did do the work and you still didn't have the outcome that you were looking for, that's okay. Sometimes our outcomes are extremely complicated to achieve. Um, if you're trying to, you know, cure cancer, right, you're going to try a lot of different things before you cure cancer. Um, but you need to know whether or not you're not curing cancer because you didn't do the research you said you were going to do or because you did that research and it didn't have the result that you were hoping for. How does this relate to the ultimate question many, many nonprofits are looking at as funding, either in the narrative for grants, narrative to donors, or even, frankly, are there parts of the impact method that include fundraising? Yeah, so there's kind of three parts that really hit on the fundraising piece. Um, the first is the what we call the blueprint. It's basically a, and this time it's like a tree type map of the various functions that make your nonprofit run. And this is the beginning of a huge conceptual shift that in the impact method we're asking nonprofits to make. And that is a shift from uh, kind of a command and control leadership model to a distributed leadership model where you empower many people on your team to make decisions. So when we often build out the blueprint, what I find is many nonprofits who are struggling with fundraising, they just didn't build capacity in their fundraising function. It's like an underdeveloped piece. They thought it would magically appear if they gave a, bu gave a bunch of board members who know nothing about fundraising professionally 
the job of owning fundraising. So the blueprint um, is the first step, making sure that you've planned to build and support a fundraising function. Does that make sense as one piece? Absolutely. Uh, we can only work on things that we have itemized and shown in that mind map, how it relates to the overall mission. And by the way, you know, without the right funding, uh, the entire thing starves. And, and noting that, saying like, this is an area of work. It's not, you know, field of dreams where if you do great work with great outcomes that great money will follow uh sadly that is just not the not the world we live in yet right exactly so you have to as a nonprofit, own that fundraising is a core function of your organization probably for most nonprofits, it is and you have to treat it as something that needs to be done professionally and really owned within the organization not as like a side thing um, so that's one piece. Another piece is really getting a grip on what is it, what is a brand of a nonprofit. Um, and we take, um, I've created a concept that I call the heart of the brand that we teach in the impact method. And we actually encourage people to revisit and revise as needed every 60 days. Um, it tends to like hone in on what the thing is. And it's a combination of your mission and then having a really clear mission that does not, by the way, have to be your core marketing key messaging. That's asking, in my opinion, too much of a mission. It just has to be a clear statement that when you ask the question, is this mission aligned? You can read your mission statement. It should be relatively easy to remember. And you should be able to say yes or no. <laughs> That's the purpose of the mission. It's like a filter. It's your ultimate goal. And it's a filter for answering that question. So your mission, a core belief, which is often a little more abstract than your mission, but it's something that you as an organization and all the people working in it believe is true. And if for some reason it became untrue, um, your nonprofit mission would cease to be relevant probably. And then the third piece is core values. But I have to tell you, I have found so much areas of mushiness in what, is, what do we mean by core values. I'm starting to use the phrase guiding principles. Because to me, when core values are helpful, they are a, a list of rules of the road for how you're going to operate. My favorite kind of simple example is Robin Hood believes it's okay to steal from the rich to give to the poor. That's one of his rules of the road. It's always okay to steal from the rich to give to the poor. And other people, one of their guiding principles might be, we never steal no matter what. Um, and so they would have a very different organization than Robin Hood. And so when you combine these three things together, your core values or guiding principles, your mission and your belief, then you have something to build all other messaging off of. Um, whether you're bringing in clients or people you serve or talking to future staff members, future board members, and to those donors and foundations. And you begin to have a very aligned way of having a unique identity as a nonprofit. Gotcha. That makes sense. I think it might help our listeners if, uh, could you give us an example of a, let's say, small nonprofit that you may have worked with, small by definition of under a million in revenue and how they went through, used the method, structured things differently, and, and why you know, their, their results actually changed. 
Sure, absolutely. So I'll choose a really small example um, because I think it really highlights when those nonprofits who feel like they're totally stuck, um, that they have no money and no time. So we had a small nonprofit. They have a board of, I think, three or four. And when they came to us, they had an executive director who was the only employee of the organization doing all the work. And she had a full-time job as a nurse on top of it. And she was at the point where she was thinking, if, I, if it goes on this way, I'm going to burn out. And it was a startup nonprofit. So there's all of the work to do. So after about four to six weeks of, of learning the impact method and implementing it, she gained so much relief. She said that she now knew what to do next. So she had been in that position previously where everyone's giving her advice and saying, oh, you should do this. Oh, you should do that. Oh, Facebook is great. Oh, you should speak at conferences. But she didn't know how to select for the things that she had capacity to do because we can't follow all the advice we're given. So she now had, after four or six weeks of doing the impact method, she knew exactly what to do and all those other things to say no to and how to say no to them. So she had a really clear plan of action. Um, she, along with her board, felt that they finally had a strategy that made sense to them and they knew why everything was there and they felt that it was achievable. And my favorite part is she, for the first time, was taking a full day off every week without her other job or working on her nonprofit. So she basically gained an entire week, an entire day, every week back in her life while still feeling like she was accomplishing more than ever. The concept of uh, being inside the box really strikes me when I hear this. The thought that right now we are all in our own little boxes and can only see the four walls top and bottom. And it takes sometimes this type of process. It takes actually having somebody from the outside say, hey, you seem to be in a box, some of which is actually not helping drive toward your end goals. We have this curse of knowledge that we do what we've done because it's what we do. And it's like, oh, that's how my organization is defined. But it sounds like in this process, you're holding up a mirror, helping folks see which paths actually will lead over time toward the real mission of the organization. And I think this is a great activity to take on, you know, early 2020 as we're getting into the year. Yeah, I mean, so I was recently listening. I, I follow things on messiness, chaos, open systems, and a lot of that thinking has entered how I created the impact method. So um, for those people who aren't familiar with those terms, just to make it really simple, an open system is one that is allows like outside influences come in and change the way it works. Whereas a closed system and our traditional business and nonprofit business models come from the um, industrial area, which is full of closed models, which are very rigid. They become, you become boxed in by the, the order of operations itself. And so I intentionally created the impact method. I've mentioned sometimes, a few times now, reviewing things every 60 days or, or two weeks is um, we, we have these meetings. We call them, we work in 60 day cycles and we call them uh, cycle renewal meetings where the leadership teams come together and they basically force themselves to take their head out of the box 
um, and really be open to all sorts of ideas and spontaneity. And then paired with those are meetings that happen every two weeks. We call those sprints and we call them sprint renewal meetings. And that is, again, designed very carefully. The agendas are very specific in those meetings. They're designed to do two things. One is the agenda helps pull out problems. <laughs> like, and the first time people experience them, they're like, oh, all these problems are coming up. I'm like, it's designed to do that. So if you're identifying problems, that's a good thing. And then the second piece is to really hold a bit of sacred community space for the leaders of the organization to have some time to talk about solutions to the issues that are coming up. And that's how this whole framework becomes an open, responsive framework to the more times you use it, the more cycles you go through, the more bad things happen to you and good things, the better and faster you're able to respond to change, avoiding bad things and leveraging potential opportunities, which you never saw coming. And for so many nonprofits, they are stuck in that reactive mode and to get them into the proactive mode is really where a lot of the time and calmness comes in. When you're being reactive, that's when you really feel overwhelmed. And when you're proactive, that's when you're like, I got this. Mm -hmm. It sounds like there are a lot of questions driving this process. I'm curious, what are some of your favorite questions that you ask nonprofits that you then find are the most revealing, most telling, or eye-opening? Why? Um, there's a process, I don't know who created it, called the five whys. It can get a little annoying, but um, you just, why? Why are we doing this? Why are you doing that? What? And that really gets at what is the outcome you're looking to achieve? And if you follow a why path, and you land on something that isn't really connected to your mission or doesn't really make sense, that's a fantastic opportunity to utilize what I'm about to give you right now over, just close your eyes, imagine, I am handing you a fireproof garbage can and you can take any of the things you discover that you really don't need to be doing and you can just put them in there and you can let them burn themselves out. And anyone who comes your way and says, oh, there's something burning next to you, you can be like, I know, I put it in there, it's contained. For anything else that you answer all, that you get down to the core issue or you answer why and why again and to be like, oh, that's why it's really important, that is your opportunity to say, well, are we really doing this in the best way, the most efficient way to achieve that? Or has the world changed? Has our context changed? And is there a better way now to achieve that end result? I love the 5Y framework. I think it came from uh, Japanese manufacturing where they would ask those questions when, you know, something in the line stopped and it came down to like, well, we don't have the right tool for that. And we're like, all right, well, let's make the right tool rather than stopping at the top and be like, well, let's just make it go slower or faster. And, and, and stopping before you point out, stopping before you get to the root causes. And when you find those, those levers, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know... I know a lot of your listeners probably have questions about fundraising and the number one question that I get asked about fundraising because people know I know about technology is what CRM should we use? And without going too deep into this, because it's probably a topic for another day, when I ask, why do you need a CRM, which is always my question, 
when, and I'll just skip to the answer, <laughs> is that at one point you needed a CRM because you could, the main method of communicating with people one-on-one -on -one was by phone or in person and, um, or a one-on, like you actually sent yourself one email and laboriously wrote it out each time. And so you needed a tool that bubbled up to the surface which people you should spend your time calling. In the meantime, the world has changed and we can scale our one-to-one -one type communication in many different ways. I'm not gonna go into examples right now. So my answer to why do you need a CRM is you probably don't need a CRM as much as you need to learn how to scale your one-to-one -one communication because why ask only 10 people on your list when you can ask everybody on your list in a very personalized way? Mm -hmm. But wait a minute, you didn't give us the answer. What is the one true answer of CRM? You don't need a C you may not need a CRM. You're probably like that answer of why do you need a CRM more times than not when I go through it with a nonprofit results in you don't need, need a CRM yet. Or you need a CRM that is mainly about communicating rather than about data. All right. Before we move into our rapid fire 30 second response round, is there any final piece of advice that you want to make sure is shared about the impact method? Just that there, there really is a better way to get optimized. And even if you're feeling completely stuck, what the impact method will do is help you find a first great step. And each time you go through the cycles, it you'll be able to make bigger and better steps forward. And it is very fast how quickly the relief comes. Get unstuck now, relief, when you need it. Yeah. <laughs> and it is a lot cheaper than hiring a bunch of consultants to do the same thing. Roughly, I think it, it's about um, the equivalent of $40,000 worth of consulting, except you actually built it yourself and know how to use it <laughs> after you've implemented it. And there's no like kind of consultant drop-off experience. Yeah, you can save the rest for your Instagram ads. It's perfect. Yep. Okay, rapid fire time, 30 second responses. Are you ready, Sarah? I'm ready. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? Miro, previously called Real Time Board. What tech issues are you currently battling with? Cleaning up automations that need changing. What is coming up in the next year that has you the most excited? We are going to start training other consultants in the impact method, and I'm so excited for that because it's going to scale our impact on the world very fast. Talk about a mistake that you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now. I started at an administrative level or like an executive level at a very young age. And I was afraid to, when I asked myself that question, why, and came to a, this doesn't make sense answer. I was afraid to really speak up for that because I was young. So if I could go back in time and tell my younger self, I would say like, just speak up about it. It doesn't matter how old you are. If it doesn't make sense, it probably doesn't make sense to do. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? Yes. 
And if they do their jobs really well, they should at least go out of their mission. Hopefully they've built incredible teams that they can then use for a new mission. If I were to put you in the hot tub time machine back to the beginning when you founded Pivot Ground, what advice would you give yourself? To do this, what I'm doing now, because I started out with that marketing, which I was good at, but um, I didn't even think that doing what I do now was even a possibility. And it's so, as much as it makes a big impact, I'm very happy about that. It is also so fun and fulfilling to me. What is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? We actually just stopped. Speaking of marketing, we just uh, decided to stop any form of marketing implementation and stay focused on organizational-based things. If I were to give you a Harry Potter-style wand to wave across the industry, what would it do? It would take every overwhelmed, um, just giving everything of their life, nonprofit executive director, <laughs> um, and instantly teach them the impact method for free so that they could just feel that they could have personal success as, and income and time on their hands, as well as achieve um, what they're doing now and much more for their, for their organizations. How did you get started in the social impact sector? I got started at a very young age. My mother was the head of school um, of the small independent um, school that I had gone to. And so after college, uh, I went to Japan to teach English. And when I came back, I got a job at a nonprofit. And that uh, at my mother's kind of support, um, I took on program leadership. And then I took on bookkeeping. And as soon as you can run programs and do the numbers, um, you can go very far. What advice would you give college grads currently looking to enter the social impact sector? I would say make a plan to start looking at a few different organizations and where you might want to take your career. So many people in the nonprofit sector are following after that one mission that they're drawn to, and then they figure out the rest. But I think the sector really needs more people who specialize in the running of nonprofits, not just in the fundraising field. There are people who specialize in fundraising, but we need more people who specialize in things like marketing and enrollment for programs in nonprofits, new thinking around how to deliver programs at nonprofits in new and innovative ways. What career advice did your parents give you? that you either followed or didn't follow? Um, my mom, who's always giving the best advice, but rarely gives advice. She's unusual that way. We get advice from her once every couple of years. She told me that I should w focus on doing something that I loved. And if I loved doing it, I would become great at doing it. And if I was great at doing it, it would make a successful career. All right, final hardball. How do people find you? How do people help you? Uh, you can find me at pivotground.com, P-I-V-O-T-G-R-O-U-N-D.com. And if you really want to help me um, or help me help you, get on a call with me. We offer everybody a free consultation call with me personally. And it is truly a time 
to get some free consulting. Uh, many people get on the call thinking it's just going to be a sales call and are very surprised that the major 90% of the call I am asking them questions. And it ends with me giving you two to three great next steps that you can take from your current position. I'll just also jump in and say, you know, we we had you on as a guest because we do trust your work. And big picture, you know, I, I think it's interesting, the, the difference between information and knowledge. The, you know, number of frameworks out there that might work, that could work. You're like, why this one? I think is more important question is the fact that just because you have an outline of something out there doesn't mean it's going to be put into practice. It sounds like it's the process. It's the questions. It's the time that you're allowing people to do this and you know not to take anything away from the impact method but it is more in the practice and your ability to to bring people through that rather than saying if only everyone had a an outline or you're going to pay me to just get a, a copy paste it's it's seems like it's baked into the process here it is so the impact method is truly a method and then part of it, part of it is structures like what this is how you're going to write your goals but part of the impact method is giving you the processes you need to continually improve. Um, one thing about me personally is I'm an avid sailor and I race sailboats. And I got one of my best pieces of strategy advice from a sailboat racing book. And it said the team with the best process for improving is the team that will win. And I have really... That's how I feel about the impact method is it provides you with a process of improving. And that is one of the most important things that you can do for your organization. Whether you do the impact method, I don't know any other methods for nonprofits that do this specifically for nonprofits. But even if you were to make your own process, make yourself a process for continually improving. Yeah. Will it make the boat go faster is the question, I think. Sarah, thank you so much for your time and sharing generously to our audience. They know where to find you at Pivot Ground, and you can find more in our show notes. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast, and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.